Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Welcome into a January 31 edition of the Daily Face-Off Show. Tyler Rumchuk and Frank Saravalli here to bring you 30 minutes of straight hockey talk. Plenty to get to. Frank, how was your weekend, though? Not as good as yours. You headed up to uh, Jasper for a little pond hockey. How'd it go? It was fantastic. Like the weather was great. It was only, you know, like minus one, minus two Celsius. So like skating, playing pond hockey with that view around you of all the Rocky Mountains, it was top notch. One of the best weekends I've ever had. Tourism Jasper was awesome. And uh, the guys at Oilers Nation, they know how to have a good time as well. So that was all good. Good. And you, uh, you uh, behaved yourself? Absolutely, Frank. You know me. I, uh, I always keep it straight and narrow down the fairway. Uh, anyways, on that, I'm going to change topics and we are going to get into <laughs> our first of the day. Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the board. Carey Price speaking to the media for the first time since the Habs Stanley Cup final loss and his knee surgery that followed. Uh, a bunch of really interesting comments here. So we'll throw a few of them up on the board. Carey started off by talking a little bit and saying he's tremendously grateful for all the support that he's received, not only from the fans, but from the Montreal Canadiens themselves, his teammates, and obviously my family. I've had quite the journey, obviously, at the start of the season, and it would have been a lot more difficult if I hadn't had such a warm sense of encouragement from everyone. So it was nice that, you know, there was a little bit of positivity there in terms of what Kerry was saying. He went on to add, for me personally, it's been a long stretch. It's been hard to be out watching your teammates, especially not having success. Having a couple of setbacks, it's been frustrating for sure, but I just want everybody to know that I'm doing well and I'm looking forward to the future. And speaking of his future, he was asked about, you know, what the next few months or even year could hold in terms of his future as a Montreal Canadian. He says, I haven't made any plans to do so. Me and my family are very happy here. We're settled in. This is our home. There's a reason I signed the contract like I did with a no movement clause. It was to be here. So as of right now, I have no plans to move anywhere. And that's where I'll go here, Frank. Four more years, $10.5 million on the cap. Carey Price needs to get back and get playing and be healthy, obviously. But what do you think of his future as a Canadian as the team is obviously heading towards a bit of a rebuild? Well, this sort of gave you an indication into what he's thinking. I mean, he talked a lot about the pride that he has wearing that jersey and just his motivation to get back and play, to work through this now knee injury that's been bugging him for a while. And it seems like there's a bit of a road left for him to travel in order to get back and, and continue to, to push through and, and play. But just his, you know, the first and foremost, the first thing is carry price to get right and feel right. And it's not all just physical, clearly a lot of that mental as well. And, and to hear him speak of his motivation to play for the Montreal Canadians again, I mean, to me, he's someone that isn't, waving the white flag, isn't raising his hand to new Canadians president of hockey ops, Jeff Gordon and GM Kent Hughes saying, hey, help me get out of here. Um, and so, you know, to me, that's that's a pretty significant view for someone that doesn't often say a whole lot. And so the first thing you hope is that Carey Price is doing well. And the second thing is that he, he gets healthy in terms of his need to get back playing again, because this has been a historically bad season for the Montreal Canadiens, you watch them struggle night in and night out. And it's been tough to watch his family struggle as well. His wife, Angela, having a post uh, on Instagram uh, on Sunday evening, just saying how much she yearns for normalcy to go to the games, to take their kids to the games, to have Carrie talk about the games. I mean, it's this has been a really tough run for the entire Price and the Montreal Canadiens family. 
Uh, it's been tough for a lot of Canadians. You saw over the weekend Kent Hughes saying as well uh, that he would hope to try and facilitate some kind of trade, telling La Presse in Montreal that uh, for Jeff Petrie, uh, who's had a tough go as well, his family moving back to the U.S. with the coronavirus restrictions in Quebec. I mean, this hasn't been easy for anyone, but for Carey Price to put a stake in the ground and say that he wants to continue to be a Canadian, uh, certainly have to take him at his word. Yeah, and, and not a lot of positive storylines in Montreal, but a guy like that staying committed to the franchise is certainly something I think a lot of Habs fans appreciate. Let's move on. Uh, over at Daily Faceoff, Frank, our midseason awards are up. Our 11 staff writers all putting in their picks, and we have our consensus winners as well. Let's start by going through the Hart Trophy here, where five different players got first place votes. Alex Ovechkin, who was deemed our winner, along with Igor Shesterkin, Nazem Kadri, Connor McDavid, and Jonathan Huberto, all picking up first place votes. Uh, you can see right here, Frank, you, you didn't have Ovi as your winner. You didn't even have Ovi in your top three. So take us through the process of not only leaving Ovechkin off your top three, but going with Nazem Kadri as your winner. Yeah, first off, this was by far the toughest trophy to choose. Um, and I think it gives you an indication into how absolutely wide open the Hart Trophy race is coming down the stretch uh, in the second half of the season. It could go any which of five or eight directions. Uh, I mean, there's so many guys that I think were up for consideration that didn't even really factor in on ballots. Steven Stamkos, Johnny Gaudreau would be one. Uh, you see, you have McDavid on yours. Some people had Dreisaitl. Uh, McDavid certainly could be worthy as well when it's all said and done. But with the Oilers' topsy-turvy start, Brad Marchand, another guy. I mean, there's so many guys to choose from. Now, here's the reason why I didn't have Alex Ovechkin in my, on my ballot. And it's, it was a tough call because the way that he's played and, and really just denying father time to add the other playmaking arsenal uh, to his game to be up there with the league leaders in points and not just goals has been a market change for Ovechkin, uh, particularly at this age. But I think I had a little bit of recency bias in my ballot, Tyler, and that's because Ovechkin started so ridiculously hot, 19 goals in his first 22 games this season, 37 points in those 22 games. He's really been a little bit quiet since. It's not quite a tale of two halves for the first half of the season uh, for Alex Ovechkin, quite like Patrick Mahomes. But, um, you know, five goals in his last 12 games. The Caps have really been a very, very average team since U.S. Thanksgiving. Ovechkin's game, you know, sort of not being at quite the same level that it was in the first 20 games or so, I think has played a big reason in that. And, you know, it, this was a tough call, but that's sort of where I ended up. Kadri has been, you know, right up there with the league leaders and he's been consistent. He's only had two stretches this entire season where he went two games uh, without a point in a row. And, and that's tough to do. So it'd be interesting to dive in with Peter Ball later and talk about uh, from the athletic about who exactly even is the MVP from the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, because another avalanche appeared on a few ballots as well, and that would be Kale McCarr. In total, out of our 11 writers, there were nine different players who appeared in the top threes. It's going to be a great race in the second half of the season here. I'm going to be keeping my eye on Connor McDavid, though. It's a guy who you really don't want to bet against. And like we saw last year, when he wants to just crank it up and bring it to another level, he's capable of doing it. So it'll be interesting to see the Hart Trophy race throughout the rest of the year. The one award that we had in the article that isn't a real award 
it's the comeback player of the year award. I'd love to see the NHL have something like this. I would also love to see like a most improved player award as well. But for this one, it was Vlad Tarasenko taking home four of 11 first place votes. And it was close, but he was ultimately uh, deemed our winner. Sergei Bobrovsky, Timo Meyer, Matt Duchesne, and Nazem Kadri also picking up first place votes in this. Uh, I, I left Tarasenko totally off my top three, actually. I went with Matt Duchesne as my winner. Frank, you didn't have Tarasenko winning either. You went with Bobrovsky, uh, sort of similar question as last time. Take us through the process on Bobrovsky and what do you think of Tarasenko? Yeah, I love this award too. Um, and it's not just a player that has, you know, sort of overcome injury or illness, which is what, uh, the Masterton trophy has become in a lot of ways, the sort of feel good story of the year that's handed out by the PHWA every year. In this case, it was also players that rebounded from a subpar stretch of play. And, and that is Sergey Bobrovsky to me in a nutshell. You look at his first two years with the Florida Panthers, it combined save percentage in those two years of 902, well below league average, 905, 906. And that's for a guy that was making $10 million a year on the salary cap. And in this case, you see Spencer Knight come in at the end of last season, get some starts in the first round playoff series loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning. You're saying, is, is Sergei Bobrovsky a potential buyout candidate? Is there a chance that he cedes the crease to Spencer Knight, you know, especially given uh, the change in salary cap hits and, you know, what's going on there? And instead, Bobrovsky has reverted to Vezina form at the age of 33, 921 save percentage this season. And he's really a big reason why the Florida Panthers are right near the top of the standings in the NHL. Consistent. And to turn back the clock to the level that he was at five years ago, Sergei Bobrovsky, I've, I've covered him since the day he arrived in North America. He has always been the hardest worker in the room. So it's not a shock to me to see him rebound. The thing is, it's just not always easy to do it at this age. So he was certainly worthy and, and fellow countrymen in Vladimir Tarasenko to be at a point per game pace on track to hit 30 goals for the sixth or seventh time in his career. He's been special after uh, some shoulder surgeries had kept him down for the last number of years. Yeah, Tarasenko in the last two seasons only appeared in 34 regular season games and only had seven goals in those games. This year, he's appeared in 40 games. He has 15 goals quickly. The reason I went with Matt Duchesne, kind of similar along the lines of Tarasenko. In the last two years, he played 100 games. He only had 19 goals. This season, 41 games, he already has 21 goals. Like this is a guy who went from anyone could have had him for free and, and who knows, maybe Nashville would have even kept money. And now he's point per game, 40, 40 goal pace. It's been insane to see the uh, turnaround in Matt Duchesne's career this season. Uh, he's not quite going to the All-Star game, Frank, but there's going to be a couple of new events added to the all-star game announced this morning by the NHL for the skills competition. And the first one will take place on the fountains of the Bellagio. The players are going to have to go to their little discs by a boat. They're going to stand like you can see here and have to shoot down targets facing elements like the breeze and the water spraying around. Really, you, you reported on this a couple of months ago, Frank, but this is a really, really neat way to tie in the atmosphere of Vegas with the skills comp. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me from the Washington Capitals beating the Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup final in 2018 was that celebration that Ovi had at the Bellagio Fountains and to think that they could find a way to work that in again. Like if you the loser here should get sprayed in the face by the fountains like you like you could have so much fun with this. Uh, I love the participation and, and also uh, the buy-in from the players to do something like this. I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of creative wrinkles they can add to it. But Tyler, you're a gambling man. I'm a gambling man. I can't wait to see the 21 in 22 shutting down Las Vegas Boulevard. This is the one that I'm really jacked up for because you look at this, it's a full deck of oversized cards that players are going to be shooting at. And you have to try and get as close as you can to 21 without going over. So if you fire a puck, you're at 12 and you, you, you hit a, a 10 or an ace or whatever it is, or, or a king, you, you know, you're busting and you're out. So uh, this is sort of blackjack on steroids. It'd be awesome if you could sort of, uh, and I don't know what it's going to be like out there, but if, if you could in an app wager as players are doing it, uh, can you think of, of all the fun that we'd have watching something like that? So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how players try and target and tackle something like that and to do it in the middle of the Las Vegas strip. Like the images are going to be awesome. Yeah, the images are going to be awesome. And I'm really jacked up for this one as well. Like you can even just see the way the cards are laid out. There's going to be a strategy of like, okay, if you're aiming for the ace, well, there's like a four and a five right next to it. You're taking that risk. And it'll also be cool as the event goes on to see how the players like adapt their strategy. And it'll it'll also just be a ton of fun to see these guys kind of out there and loose and in the elements in Vegas. And the gambling spin on it is great. I saw someone pointed out on Twitter. Do you remember back when the NHL didn't want the Vegas team to be called the Aces because of the tie-in to gambling? And now you flash forward a couple of years and they're doing this on the strip at their skills competition. It's uh, certainly been fun to watch the way the whole world has worked its way into the mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get into another edition of All 32 with Peter Baugh from The Athletic. That's right. We're pleased to welcome Peter Baugh, who covers The Athletic, for another edition of the All 32 delivered by DoorDash. Peter, the Colorado Avalanche have been absolutely insane, closing out the month of January, the third team in the last decade in the NHL to rack up 15 wins, 15-0-1 mark, 18 straight wins on home ice at Ball Arena for the Avs. But I got to start here, Peter. What's going on with Nathan McKinnon? Give us the latest. Yeah, so Nathan McKinnon, he took a, a hit from Taylor Hall against the Bruins in what was a, a very exciting game, maybe the most exciting avalanche game of the year, a 4-3 win in overtime. But McKinnon took a, a hit from Hall that kind of led to Hall went into him and McKinnon's stick kind of rammed into his face and he has a facial fracture and a concussion, um, which has kept him out of the last two games. He won't play Tuesday against Arizona and he won't play in the All-Star game. But the hope is... Um, that he'll be back after the after the All-Star break and he, he won't miss an extended amount of time. That's kind of what Jared Bednar, the coach of the Avalanche, has said they've been targeting. So they haven't had McKinnon for a couple of stretches now this season, yet they're still the best team in the NHL. And we were just discussing in an earlier segment the Hart Trophy ballots all of our writers put in, and Kale McCarr appeared on a few, Nazem Kadri appeared on a few. If you had a vote for who the Avs MVP is so far this season, who would who would get your first place slot? 
So this might be a bit of, I might zag a little bit. I think it's Miko Rantanen. He's been absolutely unbelievable this year. He he takes up a lot of defensive responsibility. Um, obviously, Kadri has had just an unbelievable year, career year for him, and he's outscoring Rantanen. Um, but Rantanen has, has more goals. He's playing on the top line. Um, he's been able to slide in. They've used him at center at points uh, when McKinnon's been out, and he's he's looked just fine there. And I think he's... His facilitating and passing is is overlooked potentially, and and he's just been kind of an anchor of this team. So I think it's obviously Ranton and Kadri Makar are kind of the big three this year. Um, but I, I think I'd maybe give the edge in my personal who I think is the like most deserving of the team MVP award to Ranton thus far, um, even as good as Kadri's been. Yeah, it's amazing. Kel McCarr on pace for 35 goals this year. I mean, and and that's to say nothing of McKinnon when he's been in. He's been great, but obviously has missed some significant stretches. And that's a guy that was one of the betting favorites this year for the Hart Trophy. It's been unreal to watch it all unfold, Peter. My question to you in terms of another award that... Uh, you know, certainly received some debate and consideration for us, the Jack Adams. Um, I, I gave my first place vote to Jared Bednar, and I'm curious what you make of his season to this point. And I think a lot of people might turn a little bit of a side eye to that and say, hey, this is maybe the best collection of talent in the NHL. It's not always easy to put all of that together, especially given the start that the Avs got off to this year. It, it's hard to look back to, you know, maybe late October or early November and think back to people calling at times or, or wondering uh, what Jared Bednar's future is with the Colorado Avalanche. He gets the extension. Everything quiets down. What how, what has he done in terms of helping settle that group down at the start of the season? And, and what kind of marks do you give him for his season? Yeah, uh, I noticed that you had him number one. And I think it is kind of interesting how oftentimes um, the best coaches in the league, like you look at, I, I covered college football before hockey, and you could say Nick Saban was the coach of the year just about every year, but he, he barely ever wins the award because his team just has has so much talent. And you, I think you see that a little bit in hockey. John Cooper's done an amazing job in Tampa this year, but I don't think anyone's going to consider him for the award just because he has won back-to-back cups. Um, Bender's, I mean... Look, they've been they've they play really hard under him. They they buy into the defensive element of the game, and it's it's kind of crazy if you look at his first season as coach in uh, sixteen seventeen. They had what forty eight total points. Um, they had more wins, I think, in January this year than they had that year until early February all season. So it's it's been quite a quite a shift from that to the way they're playing under him now, and I think that. You see that the team's been able to make adjustments with um, like the penalty kill was really struggling for a little bit, but they they tweaked the systems, made it a little more aggressive to rely a little bit more on the team's obviously really elite skating abilities. So so you're seeing that they they buy into what he's doing. He's able to make adjustments um, and he's I mean, it's hard to take any marks off him for the regular season now. Ultimately, what Bednar is going to be judged for is what happens in the playoffs, because like you said, this is an extremely talented bunch. And if they don't come through that, that reflects on on everyone, the players, the management and the coaching staff. Yeah, no question about that. A nearly flawless first half of the season for the Colorado Avalanche, especially considering uh, a little bit of a rocky start that they got off to. So uh, they're going to be entering the All-Star break later this week on a Rocky Mountain High. Peter, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you joining us. You can read Peter's work on The Athletic. He does a fantastic job. Color 
covering the Colorado Avalanche. This has been another edition of the All 32 presented by DoorDash. All right, Frank, let's jump into our daily inbox question. Hashtag ask DFO. You can send them in on Twitter or hit us up on our Instagram DMs. Let's head in. Let's flash this up at Radar Blue. Says, can there be a link between the recent communications between Quebec and the NHL and the disastrous situation of the Coyotes Arena based on that handle? I'd imagine there's a bit of a personal investment here from our listener in terms of uh, having hockey back in Quebec City. But Frank, what's your answer here? The answer is no. Uh, there's actually no link whatsoever. Uh, this was a communication that was established and has been ongoing between Quebec and Quebec City representatives and the NHL had been trying to get on the slate and, and docket of Gary Bettman and, and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly for a while, really even before uh, things had popped off between uh, the Arizona Coyotes and the city of Glendale and that delinquent tax bill and, and also the idea that they may have to pivot temporarily to the 5,000 seat arena uh, on the campus of uh, Arizona State. So uh, unrelated and just from a pure geographic standpoint, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I think the NHL is really happy with the footprint that it has. And I think if anything, when you look at the geographic balance that's been achieved uh, with these divisions, the only opportunity, I think, to move the Arizona Coyotes, if it were ever to pop up, and it was one of my bold predictions to start the year, was that at the end of the season, we'd be talking about the Arizona Coyotes potentially moving to Houston. Obviously, everyone to this point has denied that that'll take place or anything like that. But um, just looking at it purely geographically with the Coyotes playing in the Central you know, you line it up on the map, Houston fits perfectly in terms of what the NHL wants to do. It's basically the same market size as Phoenix. You're not giving up anything. You'd have potentially more stable ownership if uh, Tillman Fertitta, for instance, wanted to get involved. So uh, lots of options for the Coyotes. Uh, I mean, the NHL has been super committed to Phoenix over the last 15 years. So I don't see that changing. But uh, if they were to go anywhere, it's I don't think it's going to be north of the border. And I don't think it's going to be to Quebec City. Yeah, like you said, geographically, it doesn't make a ton of sense. And, you know, as much as I would love to see, you know, another rabid Canadian fan base added into the mix, you're bang on. Like Houston would be the ideal solution. Like you said, look at a map. It makes total sense. Uh, let's move on to our daily bet segment presented by our friends over at, at points bet. Uh, it was not a great weekend for me. Once again, I'm cold. I know that, but let's jump into it and see if I can bounce back. I got three plays tonight over at points bet. The first one, as you can see at the bottom, New Jersey taking on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm going with Toronto on the puck line in this hockey game. They're seven, two and one this month. The devils only have three wins themselves in the month of January. Jack Campbell, the expected starter for Toronto, and they've been dynamite on home ice so far this season, going 15 Four and one. It's a team that's playing well. It's a good team that's playing well, going up against a pretty average team that's in a slump. So I like the Leafs to not only win, but cover the puck line on home ice against the New Jersey Devils. My second play, going with another Canadian team, actually. It's an all-Canadian matchup where I'm taking the Oilers. And I think that plus 130 on the puck line is a really good spot. They were minus, they were in the minus money on the puck line against the Montreal Canadiens over the weekend. And Edmonton's starting to roll. They've won four in a row. And it's not like it's just Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle carrying the workload anymore. 
They're starting to get depth scoring. And I think that should be something that can keep rolling tonight. Miko Koskinen is back between the pipes. He's had a couple of really solid performances as of late as well. So I think Edmonton can roll against a Senators team that's just 6-11-1 on home ice this season. Ottawa also only has two wins in their last six games. And to wrap things up, my player prop for the day, Alexander Barkov, a guy who was not on any Hart Trophy ballots over a daily faceoff, but I do like him to pick up and assist tonight, paying minus 115. It's hit in only six out of 10, which is a little bit lower than I usually like if I'm going to bet on someone that's in the minus money area here. But I think this is a really good matchup for the Panthers. Their offense is not showing any signs of slowing down the best goals for per game in the NHL in the month of January. And tonight they're going up against a Columbus team that has the given up the second most goals against per game in the league this month. I think Barkov can pick up an apple playing on the top line and on the top power play unit. So there you go, Frank. We got Toronto minus one and a half, Edmonton minus one and a half, Barkov to pick up an apple. We'll see how it all works out. I believe Miko Koskin in, in net tonight for the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. Always a interesting and risky bet uh, when you're rolling with Koskin in, in net. But as they say, Tyler, scared money, don't make money. So we'll see how you rebound. Let's see if we can get you hot again. It's time for yeah. our garbage time segment, my favorite segment of the show. Tyler, I cede the floor to you. What caught your eye from around the sports world this weekend? Yeah, we are going to a bit of a different sport here, and it was a big weekend for Canadian sports fans as the men's soccer team continued its just miraculous run at the CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. It seems like for the first time since 1986, Canada might be able to punch their ticket into the World Cup in Qatar, and they did it with an impressive 2-0 win over the U.S. without their generational left back Alfonso Davies. An Edmonton product as well, um, but he managed to stay in the headlines and really was one of the bigger stories because of he was streaming on Twitch while he was watching the game. And you can see here one of the great reactions from Davies as Canada scored a goal against the U.S. It was awesome. And it got me thinking, why can't we have a little bit more of this in the entire world of sports? But also in the NHL, how cool would it be if when a team is playing a big game and maybe it's not even a star player, maybe it's just, you know, a second, third liner, a a goalie, whatever. If they're on Twitch like this, showing their passion, giving fans some insight and finding a way to develop a bit of a unique connection, because as much as Canadian soccer fans love watching Davies on the pitch, this really brought their love for him to an all new level, getting to experience a big, big moment in, in the sports history in this country with the star player like this, I just thought it was really cool and I'd love to see more stuff like this. Two things. One, you know you've made it when you have your own sign, which is pretty sick. And the other, I'm watching him jump around like, why isn't this guy on the pitch? He looks pretty healthy to me. Um, All kidding aside, uh, certainly a valid point. I'd love to see more personal interaction like that between fans uh, and players, especially on social media. If you can't play in the big game, at least be part of the big yeah. game in some way. So uh, a point well made by you. And that's going to be a wrap on a daily face-off show for today. A couple of more this week in this format. And then later on this week, we'll be live in Vegas for the All-Star Game. We'll be experiencing those new skills competitions firsthand. Frank, fantastic show. Big thanks to Peter Baugh from The Athletic for joining us as well. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.